0: Jaya Madhava Kunja Bihari Gopi Janava Shodhanandana Brajajana Jayom Om Paramhamsa Parivraja Kacharja, Stata Tharshi Srimad, ac Bhakti varanta, Swami, Srila Prabhupad, Ki, Jai. Ananta Kortavraishna Vrindaki, Jai. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories to the assembled devotees. All glories, all glories to Shri, Shri Guru and Godanga. All glories to Srila Prabhupada. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya.
1: Today is Tuesday, January twenty-eighth, twenty-twenty. Today, we are reading from Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 1, Creation, Chapter 5, Narada's instructions on Srimad
0: Bhagavatam for Vyasadeva, Text 19. Navai Janojatu Katanchana Vrajan Mukunda Sevi Anyavad Anga Shritim Smaram Mukandhangri Upak gunam punar, vihatam ichan narasa graha jana, navai jana jatu katanchana chana vrajan mukunda seva anyavad anga samsritam smaram mukundangri upagunam punar, vihatam ichan narasa graha jana, Translation, na, never,
1: vai, certainly, jana, a person, jatu, at any time, Kat, katanchana, somehow or other, avrajit, does not undergo, Mukunda Sevi, the devotee of the Lord, anyavat, like others, anga, oh my dear, samshritam, material existence, smadam, remembering, mukunda angri, the lotus feet of the Lord, upagunam, embracing, puna, again, vihatam, willing to give up, ichit, desire, na, never, rasagraha, one who has relished the mellow, jana, person, Translation and purport by His Divine Grace, A.C. Bhaktivanta Swami Srila Prabhupada. My dear Vyasa, even though a devotee of Lord Krishna sometimes falls down somehow or another, one certainly does not undergo material existence like others, fruit of work- workers, etc., because a person who has once relished the taste of the lotus feet of the Lord can do nothing but remember the ecstasy again and again. Purport. A devotee of the Lord automatically becomes uninterested in the enchantment of material existence because they are rasagraha, or one who has tasted the sweetness of the lotus feet of Lord Krishna. There are certainly many instances... Where devotees of the Lord have fallen down due to uncongenial association, just like fruitive workers, who are always prone to degradation. But even though one falls down, a devotee is never to be considered the same as a fallen karmi. A karmi suffers the result of one's own fruitive ac- reactions, whereas a devotee is reformed by chastisement directed by the Lord Himself. The sufferings of an orphan and the sufferings of a beloved child of a king are not one and the same. An orphan is really poor because they have no one to take care of them. But a beloved child of a rich person, although they appear to be on the same level as the orphan, is always under the vigilance of their capable parent. A devotee of the Lord, due to due to wrong association, sometimes imitates the fruit of workers. The fruit of workers want to lord it over the material world. Similarly, a neophyte devotee foolishly thinks of accumulating some material power in exchange for devotional service. Such foolish devotees are sometimes put into difficulty by the Lord himself. As a special favor, he may remove all material paraphernalia. By such action, the bewildered devotee is forsaken by all friends and relatives, and so they come to their senses again by the mercy of the Lord and is set right to execute their devotional service. In the Bhagavad Gita, it is also said that such, a fallen, devotee, that such fallen devotees are given a chance to take birth in a family of highly qualified brahmanas or in a rich mercantile family. A devotee in such a position is not as fortunate as one who is chastised by the Lord and put into a position seemingly of helplessness. The devotee who becomes helpless by the will of the Lord is more fortunate than those who are born in good families. The fallen devotees born in a good family may forget the lotus feet of the Lord because they are less fortunate. But the devotee who is put into a forlorn condition is more fortunate because they swiftly return to the lotus feet of the Lord, thinking themselves helpless all around. Pure devotional service is so spiritually, spiritually relishable that a devotee becomes automatically uninterested in material enjoyment. That is the sign of perfection and progressive devotional service. A pure devotee continuously remembers the lotus feet of Lord Shri Krishna and does not forget him even for a moment, not even in exchange for all the opulence of the three worlds. I was born in the darkest ignorance and my spiritual master opened my eyes with the torch of knowledge. I offer my respectful obeisances unto him. Shri Chaitanya Manovistam, Stapitam Jena Bhutale, Swayam Rupa Tadati Swapadantikam. When will Srila Rupa Goswami Prabhupada, who has established within this material world the mission to fulfill the desire of Lord Chaitanya, give me shelter under his lotus feet? I offer my respectful obeisances unto the Vaishnava devotees of the Lord. They are just like desire trees and can fulfill the desires of everyone. And they are full of compassion for the fallen conditioned souls. Jai Sri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhunitya Ananda Shri Advaita Gadadharshi Vasa Gauravakta I offer my respectful obeisances unto Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, Lord Nityananda, Sri Advaita, Gadadhar Pandit, Sri Vastakur, and all the devotees of Lord Chaitanya.
0: Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. So today
1: we'll continue our discussion of um, the instructions that Narada Muni is giving to Vyasadeva. And we'll discuss what happens when we don't succeed in the path of Krishna consciousness and how to prevent this from happening. So last week we discussed that our goal on the path of devotional service is to realize that we are eternal servants of Krishna and to constantly engage in service to him. We want to always remember Krishna and never forget him. In Bhagavad Gita 1865, it says, Always think of me, become my devotee, worship me, offer your homage unto me. Thus you will come to me without fail. I promise you this because you are my very dear friend. So 1865, this is one of the last verses of the Bhagavad Gita. It's one of the last instructions that Krishna is giving to Arjuna. And we can understand that this is, pretty much the end goal, the end result, that we want to always think of Krishna, become his devotee. And Prabhupada says in the purport, when we're engaged in such a way that we're always thinking of Krishna, there's no question of falling down into um, material sense gratification, into um, repeating the cycle of birth and death, because we lose that attraction for the temporary material enjoyment And we trade it in for a permanent, um, true, uh, spiritual enjoyment. But as we all know, this is a process. We don't get there overnight. We have so many material attachments because we've been here lifetime after lifetime that we've been so conditioned by the material world and the material. the modes of material nature, that it's hard to let go of these attachments and to let go of our material desires and our material possessions and our material attachments. So what happens if we die? Our expiration date has come upon us and we haven't gotten to that point where every single moment we're thinking of Krishna and we... um, aren't at that point yet. We're still really attached. In Bhagavad Gita 240, it says, In this endeavor, there is no loss or diminution. A little advancement on this path can protect one from the most dangerous type of fear. And Srila Prabhupada explains in the purport of this verse that any work begun in Krishna consciousness has a permanent effect, even though not finished. The performer of such work is therefore not at a loss, even if one's work in Krishna consciousness is incomplete. One percent done in Krishna consciousness bears permanent results, so that the next beginning is from the point of two percent, whereas in material activity, without a hundred percent success, there is no profit. So this is actually really reassuring, because sometimes we think, well, why even bother starting if I'm not going to... Uh, succeed, right? If, sometimes we call it um, paralysis by perfection. You know, if we can't get it just right, why bother trying to do it at all? And Prabhupada and you know, explains on Krishna's point that it doesn't matter that a, any little thing that we do that goes towards um, our Krishna consciousness that helps us to, on that path of realizing that we are eternal servants of Krishna. Is never lost, and it only accumulates. So it only grows; it never diminishes. So lifetime after lifetime, what little bit that we've heard or done or or um, pursued on this path, we pick up from the, on, at our next lifetime. And you know, this is like I said, this is really reassuring because it just says that any little bit, right? So oftentimes, you know, um, we think that we want to go out on Harinam, right? Go out on the streets and have kirtan. We are now um, putting in our preparations and planning for our major festival, Festival of Joy, which is coming up in a couple of months. And the whole um, purpose of that is to bring Jagannath and bring the devotees and the kirtan out into public. And the idea is, just by hearing the transcendental holy names, the transcendental sound vibration of Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare, everybody benefits. They may not understand what they're hearing, they may not appreciate it, but just by hearing it, they've done just a little bit of devotional service. And that might uh, wake up something dormant within them, or the next lifetime it might uh, inspire them to, you know, seek out transcendental knowledge, to seek out devotees. We don't know the effect that it has, but it's just very powerful. So it's very important part of um, our personal Krishna consciousness is is spreading the message, is sharing this message, because. Again, any little thing that we do is never lost. In Bhagavad Gita 9.30, it says, even if one commits the most abominable action, if one is engaged in devotional service, one is to be considered saintly because one is properly situated in their determination. So once we start to engage in devotional service, we're considered saintly. Because we're trying to achieve our true eternal nature. We're on that path. And like I said, because we're so attached and we're, we've been conditioned lifetime after lifetime, there's no doubt that we'll make mistakes, that we will falter on our path to Krishna consciousness. And Krishna is saying here that it, it doesn't matter because we're engaged in devotional service we're still considered devotees. And it's not free reign to, okay, I'm a devotee and I can do whatever I want because I'm a devotee and I'll still be a devotee. It's not a permission to, you know, fall or do abominable actions on purpose. But by mistake, and if we repent or we learn from our mistakes and we make an endeavor to not repeat them, then we're continuing on in the path, right? So the, in the purport of that same verse, Prabhupada says, no one should take advantage and commit nonsense and think that one is still a devotee. If one does not improve in their character by devotional service, then it is understood that one is not a high devotee. So the, the point here is that we want to constantly improve. And in our journey of improvement, we may falter, we may um, lose track, but the idea is to pick ourselves back up and, you know, um, head back on to this journey and try to do better. In Bhagavad Gita 642 through 644, Krishna says, If if unsuccessful after long practice of yoga, one takes one's birth in a family of transcendentalists who are surely great in wisdom. Certainly such a birth is rare in this world. On taking such a birth, one revives the divine consciousness of one's previous life, and one again tries to make further progress in order to achieve complete success. By virtue of the divine consciousness of their previous life, one automatically becomes attracted to the yogic principles, even without seeking them. So, we can understand that for many of us, we weren't actively seeking out Krishna consciousness, um, transcendental knowledge, seeking a higher meaning, and yet we came across this information and on these verses, we can understand that that's because of some effort that we have made in our past life. And so that, again, is reassuring that even if in this life I don't succeed, I can pick up where I left off. I don't have to start all over again um, in my next life, but I can just pick up where I left off. And the point is, is that this kind of fall down is assured. It's going to happen, right? We know that this is going to happen. I've actually heard um, my spiritual master, Tamal Krishna Goswami, say, say in a lecture, this is from um, January 6, 1995, uh, initiation ceremony in Dallas, he says, not everyone remains steady in Krishna consciousness for eternity, It is a great source of grief to the spiritual master, to other Vaishnavas, and to Krishna himself to see the conditioned soul get the opportunity for Krishna consciousness and then give it up voluntarily. Because no one forces you to give up Krishna consciousness. You give it up of your own volition. Similarly, no one forces you to take up Krishna consciousness. You've taken it up of your own volition. And, you know, when I hear this, that it's a great source of grief, not just to Krishna, but it is a great source of grief to Krishna, but a great source of grief to our spiritual master, to other Vaishnavas, when someone who's on the path of Krishna consciousness falters and maybe they leave and we don't see them again. Um, because you know, I often quote this, because as Vaishnavas, we have compassion for all of the fallen conditioned souls, and we want to see everybody succeed and take up this process of Krishna consciousness and realize their eternal position. So, if this kind of fall down, this kind of faltering is assured, it's going to happen, then what can we do? How can we prevent things from happening? Or alternative way of looking at that, why is it that we falter? Why is it that it's assured that we're going to leave? In in another lecture that I was listening to by my spiritual master, um, he was saying that his proposition was that it is meaningful relationships that keep us in Krishna consciousness. And when we don't have strong, meaningful relationships, fall down is... Um, assured, We're going to leave. We're going to falter. Because we are bound by relationships, whether this is husband or wife, parent or child, friends and friends, or just any other type of relationship we may have. But if we have strong, meaningful relationships, it's going to help us to keep um, on this path, steady on this path. And we see that not just in, in the spiritual context, but in a lot of different contexts. Um, you know, we have support groups like Alcoholics Anonymous or Overeaters Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous. And um, some of the basic tenets of, like, Alcoholics Anonymous um, is a lot of times people have what's called a sponsor, somebody that they can call, somebody they, they develop a relationship that they know when they're about to falter they can call. Um, and we also see this in, you know, in my field, which is health, um, where when we're trying to help people change their habits and start living healthier habits, eating more vegetables, eating more fruits, cutting back on processed foods, sugars, meats, um, foods that are not good for us, exercising more, we find that it helps to have a group, you know, group, a support system um, accountability, things, you know, someone else to kind of help us in this process. And so the same goes for our spiritual process. When we have meaningful relationships, it gives us great strength. And um Krishna Goswami says, Our strength will be as much as our relationships are strong. Because Maya, which is illusion, Maya is very strong. And maya is kind of the representation of the material modes of nature. It's, it's something that doesn't exist in the sense that it's temporary. It's not eternal. And there's so much temptations in the material world. Um, there's so much conditioning that we have. And we, it tends us to help, it makes it easier for us to choose sense gratification over Krishna consciousness. Um. Because as we've mentioned before, sometimes you know something that's really good for us can be like poison in the beginning, which then turns out to be nectar in the end. so when we have to let go of or, or decrease our amount of sense gratification, how much we're pursuing material pleasures, material attachments, material possessions, it can be a little painful because it's like, well, that feels good. I don't want to let that go. And when it comes to... Christian consciousness in the beginning, it's very tough. It's difficult to follow, you know, some of the rules and regulations. Like if you're used to eating meat, it's difficult to cut meat out and have no meat, fish, or eggs. If you're um, used to being able to drink or you know, even coffee, no intoxications can be very difficult. If you're not used to meditating, chanting. You know, japa mantra meditation can be very difficult. So one way to help us through that is, is developing strong relationships. Associating with devotees can provide us the strength to choose Krishna over Maya. And we do this because we can see each other's examples. We can take inspiration by each other's struggles and how we overcome them. It provides us hope that we can also succeed in Krishna consciousness, and we learn how to take shelter of Krishna's energy and how to be free from illusion. So you know when we we all have our struggles, you know everybody wants to present themselves as you know the perfect devotee, oh, yes, we're you know always thinking of Krishna. Everything that we do is for him. But in reality, at least for me, I mean, I'm on that path and I can't honestly 100% say that every moment of my day is um, dedicated to Krishna, is, is enveloped in thoughts of Krishna. There are times, you know, I, I'm, I'm happy to say um, that more of my day is spent thinking about Krishna than not you know, so in a 24 hour day, you know, like whatever, one would think eight hours sleeping, but I don't sleep that much. So, you know, let's just say 16 hours, at least more than eight hours. I'm pretty sure I'm thinking about Krishna in one way or another, how I can provide, you know, some service to him. What can I do? Chanting my rounds, reading. Um, These things are really important. And Associating is really important, right? This is the point that my guru was making in this lecture—that association with devotees is really important. And I've mentioned this before, but it, I think it bears repeating. You know, so many times that I've hung out with some of my dear friends in Krishna consciousness, um, and you know, we may not be doing something that seems outwardly like what devotees should be doing, like coming to the temple and chanting and having kirtan. It might be that we're going out to see a movie or um, going out to dinner or, or, you know, just um, having some sort of fun in the company of other devotees. And what inevitably ends up happening is we talk about how Krishna is affecting our lives, how Krishna has shown up in our lives, how Krishna always comes into the conversation I remember one time I had a few friends over, and we were watching um, movies. Like, it was over Christmas break, so we were watching some Christmas-themed movies. And we got done watching it, and we ended up... The idea was to watch, like, I don't know, a couple of two or three movies. And we ended up watching one movie and uh, talking for two or three hours about different... Things in Krishna consciousness, different struggles that we have, um, some wins that we've had, you know, like how we've succeeded in certain struggles. And it was just, it became a completely different afternoon than what I thought it was going to be. It was so much better, right? Because in the company of devotees, we can't help but talk about Krishna, in Bhagavad Gita ten nine, Krishna says, "The thoughts of my pure devotees dwell in me. Their lives are fully devoted to my service, and they derive great satisfaction and bliss from always enlightening one another and conversing about me." And I have to say, I find this to be very true. Like, whenever I I go out and I have um, a good time with you know friends that may not be so spiritually inclined. And there's no doubt. I have a good time with them. We have good conversations. But there's something more special and sweet when I go out with my friends that are devotees and we end up talking about Krishna and and you know, talking about the different ways that Krishna appears in our lives and you know, just how merciful he is. It's it becomes just a whole different level of friendship. It's we're tied together by something that's deeper and more profound and sweeter than anything that can the material world can present to us. So this is really important. We need good association. We need these kinds of relationships in our lives in order to be successful on this path of Krishna consciousness. Remember we said that this is of our own volition that we're here in Krishna consciousness. So if we want to succeed, you know, again, why are we here? Why did we choose to be, uh, put ourselves on this path of Krishna consciousness? And it's to, to gain something higher than we, ha- we can in the material world, right? To gain Krishna, to understand that we are eternal servants of Krishna. So if that is our goal and we want to be successful and we're choosing this path, then we want to do the activities that are going to be successful. And one of the main activities is associating with devotees. By associating devotees, we also learn to discriminate when material facilities are a blessing or a curse. Something is considered a blessing when it brings us closer to Krishna, and something is considered a curse when it... um, takes us away from Krishna or it gets us further entangled in material nature or, you know, brings us closer to sense gratification. And sometimes that's not so easy to to distinguish because for one person, you know, they can have as much wealth as, I don't know, like, um, I'm thinking Trump because he's a wealthy man. So they can have as much wealth as Trump and still be unattached. Right? The, the money is there, it's all great, and they're using it in the service of Krishna and everything that they do. So they're not affected by that wealth. Whether or not they had the money or they didn't have the money, their lives would not really be that different in terms of internally what's going on, how they're presenting themselves. But somebody else can have that same amount of wealth and become very attached, become very proud, and think, oh my God, look at all this money. And they you know, may spend on extravagant things, It's the same thing with um, material um, appearances of pleasure. Like for one person um, having, you know, a really nice house, comfortable bed, it can be maya, it can be entangling and sense enjoyment. For somebody else, it's just another way of supporting them in their Krishna consciousness. And, you know, it's just for someone who may have some aches and pains, having a comfortable bed can help alleviate some of those aches and pains and so they can do more service and they're able to do more and feel better. Whereas somebody who's maybe a stronger body may not need as much, you know, a soft bed. They can sleep on the floor and, you know, it doesn't really affect their physical um, energy levels and what they're able to do. So. Krishna and the Guru and advanced devotees are able to make this distinction, and even if you have peers that are, you know, that can give it to you straight, that can um, tell it like it is, they can also help you distinguish with with um, what if you're doing is in service to Krishna or if it's in service to yourself and the material nature and your um, sense enjoyment. Because it's never the same for two people, right? Each one of us are very unique, and we're unique in what our services are, we're unique in what our needs are. And we have to be able to distinguish those things, and it's hard to do ourselves, because we can, I know I can, I can do a lot of mental gymnastics and, you know, justify something because I want it, Um, or I can have someone reflect for me and say, really, is that absolutely necessary? Or are you, um, you know, just trying to find some excuse to enjoy materially? And we have to be very careful of that because even the smallest bit of material enjoyment seeps into our lives and it can cause big disruption, right? Like if you have a leak in your, Um, house somewhere Uh, well I've had this a leak in my ceiling and you know slowly slowly that leak starts to grow and the entire ceiling collapses right and it was just from a little drip of water that was constant little drip right and it caused this major um, disaster in the house right the ceiling fell and that's how um, that even the slightest bit of material enjoyment for our own sense, for our own self, can be like that. It can poison the entire well, so to speak. So we want to be very careful of that. So why um, why is it difficult to associate? You know, we know that If we extend ourselves for the benefit of others, we actually benefit. We know that we can um, extend ourselves to each other more and more, but it's difficult to do. And why is it difficult to do? It's difficult because we have this fear of being disappointed, of being dependent on others, because we feel that if we're dependent on someone else, that opens us up for hurt, right? disappointment it makes us vulnerable and it's very difficult to be vulnerable we can also be um, so in order to have good strong meaningful relationships we have to place ourselves in a position of dependence right we're depending on each other to uplift each other so we have to position ourselves in dependence and that's hard to do because we think that we're independent I know that I think that I'm independent. There's a story I was thinking of. Um, I, I think it happened last year or the year before. And I was, I was just having a conversation with a friend of mine. And I was like, yeah, I'm just like super independent. And I don't think, you know, I need anybody. And, you know, I'm good. And not like even ten minutes after, after I had this conversation with her. I was driving away from her house and there's like this little alley in the back. And I didn't realize but the alley starts to narrow and I kind of like my car got stuck in in a little ditch, right? Because it'd been raining and so my car got stuck in a little ditch and this was kind of late at night, and I thought, oh my God, I can call a tow truck, I can do this, but it's going to be a late night, like I'm going to be here, who knows what time they'll get here, who knows how much it'll cost, you know, so I was, I was really in anxiety about these things, and I wasn't that far, it was probably like two or three houses down from my friend, so I went back to her house, and I was like, I'm stuck in a ditch. And so um, we began calling people. And I saw within 10 minutes, you know, like two or three devotees came and, you know, helped me push my car out of the ditch. And it was just amazing to me. Here I thought I'm independent. And Krishna immediately shows me, look, you are dependent. And he also showed me that it's okay that I'm dependent because I have dependable people to be dependent on. You know, the, the devotees that showed up, I mean, it was just like, I was so grateful that so late at night, they, without question, came to my rescue. And that is the power of strong, meaningful relationships. You know? But it's hard, again, you know, in that moment, when my car got stuck in a ditch, I was like, oh my God, this is so embarrassing. I'm, you know, like, do I want to call somebody? Do I want to make myself, you know, that level of vulnerable where people can tease me or make fun of me for getting my car stuck in a ditch so you know that's something that we have to overcome that that fear and we have to also overcome that we'll be disappointed because really what what's happening is that we're disappointed in ourselves we're afraid that if we go to someone we'll disappoint them you know we'll make mistakes we'll be embarrassed Um, So, you know, that's okay because we are humans. We make mistakes. Um, And that's not a disqualification in our service to Krishna and on this path of Krishna consciousness. The disqualification is to not even try and to be controlled by our fear. So this is the same concept of, you know, using that excuse of well, I'm engaged in Krishna consciousness so I can do whatever I want, right? Um, That's an offense to um, commit sins on the strength of chanting the holy name. It's that same type of concept here where, oh, well, you know, I'm going to make mistakes so I might as well just make mistakes, right? Like, not even try. Um, So it's not that. It's that we are trying our best not to fail and realizing that we will make mistakes, that we will falter, um, but that we have people around us that will help us to pick ourselves back up and give us the strength to continue to to resume um, on this path of Krishna consciousness. You know when we are talking about these relationships we wouldn't want our guru or god brothers or god sisters or friends um, that are devotees you know to lose hope with us or lose patience with us and similarly we don't want to lose patience with them so we want to extend ourselves to devotees as well right we want to make ourselves available for these strong relationships because we may not think, I may not think that I have anything to offer, but what I've learned is that just in our struggles alone is a great um, inspiration for other people. Right? Sharing our struggles that's, that's very, it puts me in a very vulnerable position to share what I'm struggling with um, in my path of Krishna consciousness. Because it's very personal and it's very intimate and it's... Um, you know, it's that fear of being judged. Like, if I share that this is something that I'm struggling with, then oh my God, what will this person think of me? How will they judge me? Well, realize that the person on the other side is also feeling that level of vulnerability. If I share, right, what will they think of me? How, you know, I can't, I have to put on this front that I'm a strong devotee. And that's not necessarily true. So if what I found is that if I start sharing my struggles, it puts another person at ease to then share their struggles. And you never know how, even if somebody has been here for a day, how what kind of insight they'll have for your struggles. And part of, so I'm um, working on building a uh, lifestyle medicine practice, and I've joined, it's called a mastermind group. I don't know if anybody knows what a business mastermind group is, but it's a a group where you um, get together with similar um, individuals and every couple of weeks or so you have a meeting and you discuss um, what your goals are. You know, you set goals from this meeting to the next meeting that you want to achieve and you share what you've achieved in the meantime, but you also share what you struggled with. And then everybody in your mastermind, usually it's just a group of like four to six people they start asking you questions, like, why was it a struggle? Why, why did you have an issue with that? And, you know, you start, and they start giving you ideas. Now, everybody in this group is also looking at building some sort of business of their own. It may not be the same idea or the same model as mine, but we all, um, we all are struggling to, to achieve something. So everybody gets put in that hot seat of having to share their struggles and then being questioned and, you know, and then being given advice. Like, have you thought about doing this? And and um, this can help. You know, this is something that helps me if I have this similar struggle. And what you find is we all have similar struggles, you know. Um, and it's a great way to leverage relationships, to... Um, uplift each other as we're struggling. And that's the same thing we can do, you know, in our Krishna consciousness, is having people that we can go to when we're struggling, having that trust built that we can come to someone and say, you know, this is something I'm really struggling with, and, you know, how can I do something about that? And you'd be surprised what people are struggling with and what they also, you know, or maybe it's a struggle that they've had and they've, come to a point where, you know, it's no longer a struggle for them, then they can share some of the ideas that they did. And while not everything may work for you, something may, and and you can learn something from that. So, you know, we we wanna make sure that we're extending ourselves to each other, you know, opening ourselves up for these relationships. And the Nectar of Instruction, you know, talks about the types of loving relationships amongst devotees. And there are six kinds of exchanges, including revealing one's mind and confidence. This is a very important part of establishing relationships, is, esta- is revealing one's mind and confidence. That means that we're confident that the other person is not going to judge us. They're not going to share without our permission, you know, what we're sharing, what we're opening ourselves up to for, um, for help. And Gurdiv says that we should extend ourselves over and over again until we become bound up in a very tight compact of love that becomes impossible to escape. How beautiful does that sound, right? Like to have such great relationships that we are bound up in a very tight compact of love. And, you know, we can pray that gradually all our relationships become like this, become so spiritually purified and give us so much strength that really we have no other place to escape to, that if all of our relationships are spiritual, then, you know, where's the, where's the question of escape? We've surrounded ourselves with beautiful relationships that are keeping us strong in Krishna consciousness. So this can be a type of prayer that when we pray, we can pray to Krishna to please make all my relationships spiritual. Because that is one of the most important things is to have the strength that we get from associating with each other. I'm going to end with a quote from um, my guru, Tamal Krishna Goswami, which was given uh, during Pranima Lecture in 1998 in Houston. And he says, I can assure you, if you keep associating with devotees, you'll be okay. I guarantee that. I guarantee that. The single most important thing in Krishna consciousness is association. It is more important than everything else. Because with association, everything else is sure. You can't keep associating with devotees unless you remain Krishna conscious. It forces you. That's the whole reason for this movement. That's why Prabhupada built these temples. That's why he did everything, to guarantee we would associate with each other. You just have to associate together as much as possible, one excuse or another, by one means or another. Find an excuse to associate with the devotees. So with that, I ask, um, are there any questions?
2: Independence—that they have a tendency to think that they're independent, when actually everything. Christian says that not a blade of grass moves without his sanction. And I read in the second canto that there's different demigods that oversee every organ in our body, every our breathing apparatus, everything that goes has a demigod uh, over it. So. I was wondering, like in the medical profession, they're always trying to move things around to make people healthy, so to speak. You know, antibiotics to kill things and then maybe change organs, you know, liver transplants. So, how are people independently, you know, the doctors, the you know, physicians are they able to sort of change the laws of nature? Are they able to override the, the rule of God and, and make things change people's karma? You know, like they're going to die and then they just take an organ out of a young person and stick it in. They, get, they make they give them more lives. What, it, what, how is uh, the control of God in in that uh, arena? So doctors
1: would like to think that they can overcome the laws of nature and overcome God and control these things. But actually we can understand from our understanding of the scripture that this is actually all dependent on Krishna anyway. Because in Bhagavad Gita he says, I am the intelligent of the intelligence. Right. So even to have that idea of switching out organs of... um, that of um you know certain medications can treat certain things even that knowledge comes from krishna it's dependent on krishna and you know from an inside perspective there is no medical treatment that's 100% you know everything has side effects there's percentage we go by percentages right like there's a 90% chance that this care will work. There's a 10% chance it won't. And we don't even know what determines the 90% versus the 10%. You know, some of some treatments that are recommended it's like 50% of the time, you know, 60% of the time. And I was just having this conversation that sometimes the doctors act like they know, like they, "Oh no, this is the way you do it." internally, every single one of us have so many doubts, we have so many questions about, is this the right thing for this person? Will it work? We don't know, right? Um, And I come from a position where I acknowledge that, and I feel that it gives me so much more power because when you admit or you realize that you don't know something, you make more of an active endeavor to seek out more knowledge. But when you think you know something, you, nobody's looking to get more knowledge. I already know that. You don't need to tell me. I know that. Right? So they're not open to learning anymore. Um, so from my perspective, you know, I, I don't mind admitting what I don't know. And I'm the type of person that I'm never going to tell you, this is your treatment. This is what you need to do. It's more that this is what I feel or what I know to be effective, you know, what is it that you want? These are the risks and benefits of it. You know, even simple medication like antibiotics, right? We think, oh, antibiotics, there's no harm. We're finding out there's so much harm in antibiotics that it can actually be the, like, children that have been treated with antibiotics, I think, even if they've only had one or two courses before the age of two, they found that they're more prone to asthma, to immune, autoimmune disorders, Later on in life, just by taking some antibiotics, because you know there's a whole system of bacteria that live in our body, and we're just now learning about that. Right? This they call it the microbiome. Um, it's another buzzword in medicine now. And each cell in our body has like ten trillion bacteria, species of bacteria living on it, and we have like you know ten trillion cells. So you could imagine, there's almost more bacteria, living entities on our body than there is one human soul, right? So they control those. Like as humans, we depend on the bacteria to keep us alive. We're not even independent in that sense. Right? So you know, the bacteria control our digestion. It controls our immune system when we take antibiotics, we kill the bacteria, we kill our immune system, we lose our digestion, right? And we know that digestion is kind of like the heart of our, our health. So even in that sense, we're not even independent, you know, like our body is not even independent. It's dependent on other living entities that we don't even see. So I was, when I found out about the, the microbiome, I thought, oh, when we eat prashadam, we are feeding ten trillions and trillions of living entities prashadam. So it becomes even more important for us to engage in activities such as that because we're dependent on the bacteria, but the bacteria is also dependent on us. Right? They're dependent on us to eat the right foods, to do the right things, to do the engage in the right activities, and if we're engaging in Krishna consciousness, we're, they're also benefiting. I hope that answers your question.
0: All right.
1: Hare Krishna. Any other questions? All right. All right. Well, with that, I leave you. Hare Krishna. Dharantara Srimad Bhagavatam Ki.